Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Morgan Weber and Matt Tanner from Easy's Liquor Lounge coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Great, Eric. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Frank's Americana Revival will relocate from its home on Westheimer to the Alexan River Oaks, a luxury apartment building at West Alabama and Wesleyan. The new larger space will allow for a patio, something Frank's does not have currently, as well as a bigger bar, a larger kitchen, and eventually a companion coffee shop and cafe. Mary, let's kind of start at the beginning here. Do you have thoughts on Frank's Americana Revival? Do you do you dine there? It's so funny you were talking about Frank's because you and I were just talking about uh, this restaurant yesterday. Um, I don't dine there frequently. I've been there before. I think it's good. Uh, I'm surprised that a restaurant like this would opt to go bigger rather than smaller. I think a lot of the trends for... Um, locally owned restaurants is to go smaller but it's a new development and a lot of times depending on what deal they negotiated they're probably able to move here for the same and or possibly less than what they were previously paying and they get a whole brand new space for it so kind of surprised but hopefully they made a smart deal here and having a patio is definitely important important in this kind of post-COVID era we're moving in or whatever whatever we're in. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right. I think Frank's does like very kind of classic American comfort food well, right? One of the better chicken fried steaks in Houston. People really like their fried chicken. They do a chicken pot pie as a, a weekly special. They do seafood. And it's evolved a little bit over the years, right? They... You know, they they sort of differentiated their kind of bar and lounge area as the White Star Bar. So this will allow them to do more of that. And I think you're right. Usually you wouldn't expect a restaurant to go physically bigger. But when you're in a big luxury apartment complex, being bigger makes a certain amount of sense because all of a sudden you have uh, a captive population, particularly, you know, whether or not those people want to dine in, they will certainly want to avail themselves of getting Frank's to go. And so a bigger kitchen that can accommodate more to go orders makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think being in a, in a development like this gives them access to a whole new clientele they don't already have in addition to their existing clientele. So a possible big win for them. Right. And it's, it's close enough to, where they are currently on Westheimer, just east of Wesleyan, that it's not going to change things very much. It's not going to be too disruptive to their basically River Oaks clientele. They're not going to get lost on the way to the new location. They can, you know, you can't quite see one from the other, but but you almost can. And I think that's that's really important. I wouldn't I, I, I don't think they should move any farther away than they are moving. Well, and I think they also get the benefit of a seamless transition, right? So they get to stay at Frank's until this new location is open, which I really think helps have 
gives you the ability to have those conversations with your consumer, with your customer that you're moving down the street and they don't have to show up one day and wonder where you went. Yes. No, I, I think that's, that's very important because not everybody, as confusing as it is to me, not everybody reads culture map. Not everybody (laughs) obsesses over restaurants on social media and particularly Frank's right. Which has an older crowd, at least in my experience, you've got to do, they're going to have to do a lot of handholding, a lot of like direct customer outreach to make sure that everybody knows that they're moving, knows where they're going and is ready for this transition, which we expect to come sometime early next year. Yes. Looking forward to it. All right. Let us move on to topic number two, Zanti Cucina Italiana, a restaurant in the woodlands is opening a new location in the River Oaks shopping center. Mary, I know you get up to the Woodlands every now and then. Have you been to Zanti Cucina Italiana? No, I have not. Um, I do go to the Woodlands somewhat frequently. I kind of stick to the same places there, but I mean, the growth in the Woodlands has been insane over the last few years. So there's definitely room for more dining options and, I think people are definitely looking for quality dining options. There's a lot of chains that go in the woodlands and some do very well and and some don't. It's its own demographic. It is definitely different than inside the loop. Well, yeah, let's, let's come back to that. I I do just want to add, you know, I I sort of checked in with Anthony Campo Felice, the subtle foodie. He's my, he's my kind of go-to contact for anything going on in the woodlands. He really likes this place, right? Handmade pastas, Neapolitan style pizzas. They do all the kind of classic stuff. You know, they do asobuco. They do, they do seafood dishes. It's it's all done with, and you know, the chef is Italian. He's from Piedmont, so I think that speaks well to kind of what they're doing, and I think that will serve them well when they come inside the loop. Now, talk to me about the differences in your experience in expectations for the woodlands versus where they're going in river oaks uh definitely more family friendly in the woodlands right like uh, it would you would be remiss to open up a restaurant that only appealed to a certain demographic it's a very very family and corporate environment uh so ours you know businesses here the peak hour of dinner is definitely at an earlier time than it would be in the city for example and you definitely have to want to cater to a lot of these businesses that are in and around the Woodlands Mall area, the Anadarko Tower area. And so you have to be mindful of that. People drink wine here. They don't drink as much hard alcohol as they do in the city. It's, again, very family, corporate friendly. Well, yeah. And I, and I think that kind of gets to the difference between what Zanti is going to be doing up in the woodlands versus what they're going to be doing in their location, the river shopping center, right on West gray, you know, right down the parking lot from brasserie 19 Hudson house, you know, across the street from Perry's. Uh, and, and maybe most importantly is that this is going to kind of replace La Grilla as the Italian restaurant on West gray in the river shopping center. You know, they're, not, not a lot has been said about the fact that LaGrilla is going to have to leave its location that it's been in for 30 years, where it's going, what the exact timeline is, but we know that that's coming. So let me put it to you. 
what is Zanti going to have to do to get that LaGrilla crowd to come and check them out? <laughs> Wait for LaGrilla to close. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But yeah, LaGrilla's lease is not going to be renewed in this uh, shopping center. So it will go away. I don't know when exactly that timeline is, but I just think with all of the new restaurants that are coming into Riverwick shopping center, I do think, people will have more than Brasserie 19 and LaGrelia to choose from. And I say Perry's, but in my experience, the crowds that go to Brasserie 19 don't really translate to Perry's. So they're going to have to figure out a way where they can do what Perry's didn't uh, in terms of reaching out to people that kind of live and work in the area. I feel like Perry's is a very established namesake. It's just not one that people inside the loop and adjacent to River Oaks and Montrose are, are really craving. So they're going to have to make a niche within that market to stand out. Uh, I think that they absolutely can do this. And I do think that the arrival of, you know, three to four new restaurants in the shopping center will make people hop between them. Like they do perhaps in River Oaks district with La Colonial and Taverna and, uh, mad and steak 48 so hopefully people have drinks at one maybe dinner at another maybe dessert you know hop around a little bit right taverna taverna of course is long gone it's uh, uh sorry the french one <laughs> yeah exactly right and now uh why can't i think of it either that's really bad <laughs> but yes the french concept that anchors the uh mid midpoint of river oaks district i mean you see people, if you sit on the patio of Uzu or Locke or, or um, La Colonial, you see people literally make the circuit of walking around. And I think best case scenario, that's what happens in Revoke Shopping Center. Toulouse, just to clean that up. Toulouse. There you go. Apolo <laughs> apologies to Toulouse. So, <laughs> yes, right. We know that Brasserie 19 has been kind of rejuvenated. Uh, now that Charles Clark is the sole proprietor. Hudson House from Dallas, which is kind of a casual... Oyster Bar with burgers. We know that's coming right next to B19. And then Zanti is coming in November. And so you're right. There are all of a sudden there are all these, there are going to be all these new restaurants and they're each going to have to kind of find their audience and, and there's going to be some shuffling. But, but I do like your thought that it could just, it could just wind up being this whole kind of vibe where, you know, maybe you start at Brasserie 19 for oysters and bubbles and then you, you walk down to Zanti for pasta and then, you know, I don't know, you know, nightcap at Hudson house, whatever, but it, yeah, it does have, there, there's, a, there's a lot of potential for synergy. Nightcap at Marfrela's Eric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe for you. I don't know how Correct. you spend your time. <laughs> oh, I think you have a pretty good idea. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to topic number three, Killer Noodle, a ramen restaurant from Los Angeles, is coming to the former Cane Rosso space in the Heights beginning October 15th. Mary, this, this restaurant got some attention from beloved, the late LA Times critic, Jonathan Gold, for its Sichuan-inspired Tantan Men noodles that are kind of like, it's kind of like Don Don noodles turned into ramen. Uh, spicy pork, you know, a lot of chili heat. I, I think it's worth noting that there's a lot of ramen both in and around the Heights. Like if you, there's rock and ramen at MKT, there's shoku ramen 
uh, on Studewood. There's Junior Ramen and the Heights Waterworks Development on 19th Street. And then if you cross I-10, you could add Samurai Noodles, Ninja Ramen. You know, even Soma Sushi has always served a pretty good bowl of ramen. So I don't know how the Heights has become sort of ramen central in Houston, but that's that's our reality. Inexpensive food for the hipsters. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It goes, goes well after... <laughs> Goes well after a couple of drinks, or or as a or as establishing a base for drinking more. Yes. So let me just throw it to you. I mean, you know, I don't I don't think of you as a big ramen person, but you know, if I tell you that it was it's this like well thought of Los Angeles restaurant, is that enough to get you in the door? And and if not, what what would it take? Yes, it is enough to get me in the door. Some of my favorite ramen experiences ever have been in downtown LA like lines out the door for hours you write your name down and pray that you get in within two hours um and anything that lights my mouth on fire like Szechuan style or anything with spice or heat I love so I'm definitely there for that I will say and it's because it's close to where I live but I love Kata's ramen that's always my favorite they're spicy soy uh ground pork ramen is my personal favorite in town and i actually do eat it a lot especially during like fall winter months like on a cold rainy day i definitely crave just something comforting and that checks a box for me so i do think there's room for this and the heights i do think maybe there's not a room for there's not room for as many of the same styles so i hope that their style of ramen sets them apart from the rest I think that's a good point, right? That they are serving a different style of ramen than some of these other restaurants. And so people who who try it and like it presumably can go there exclusively for that one thing that they do. And I think that's a way to kind of establish their presence in the market. You know, I think it's worth noting, like they have, you know, they see opportunity here, right? They're, you know, a second location will open on Westheimer you know, maybe late 2023, early 2024. And then, you know, if the, if they're both successful, then they could do even, you know, another location or two somewhere else in the city. So, you know, I'm certainly intrigued by this. I, I have to admit, this is not a style of ramen that I am personally familiar with. I, I tend to stick to kind of a more classic kind of tonkatsu shoyu, you know, ramen tatsuya style broth. But, you know, I like Sichuan cuisine. I like dandan noodles. So yeah, bring, bring on the ramen version. Let's, let's do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll definitely try this out. Looking forward to it. Love anything from an LA style spot for sure. Mary, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on-site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or MS Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm which relocated to downtown last year. It's an exciting update to just a classic Houston steakhouse, still with the prime steak, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. 
If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants, and entertainment destinations. That's greenstreetdowntown.com. Mary, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about Mala Sichuan Bistro, specifically the new location that has opened in the MKT mixed use development in the Heights. Uh, this is the fifth Mala Sichuan to open in Houston. It features a really elegant design by Jin Design Group, as well as a cocktail program by Chris Frankel, who's a friend of the show. Uh, we know Chris from all over the place, but, uh, you know, he was at Anvil for a long time. Now he's running El Segundo Swim Club and he, you know, shows up here and there around town. Mary, let me, uh, let me throw it to you. What did you, what is your kind of existing relationship with Mala Situan and, and what did you think of the, the new location? I first experienced Mala Sichuan, believe it or not, when I had a, this goes into real estate, Mary, but when I had a property for sale out at their original location and my mind was just blown. I think I had red oil dumplings the first time and it was so good. I was excited when they came to Montrose, but I still felt like the original, I don't know, holds a special place. I know that they now have five locations. I'm excited about this Heights location. I think it's spot on for something that's missing in the Heights uh, and giving people the opportunity to have this type of food without having to drive 30 minutes uh, or more, depending on rush hour, if you're trying to go to the OG location. But um, I'm excited to have them here. The menu is so expansive. The design's very fresh by Jen Braverman. And I think it's a welcome addition to the center. It, it's definitely different from anything else that is in in this heights shopping center well you know you say that i i will say i i went to uh felice and i went to blue sushi sake grill a while back and it has that kind of really lively like japanese vibe you know very colorful lots of stuff to look at this is this is not like this is a little more subtle um and it's chinese not japanese i i realize that that's two completely different design languages, but, you know, eye catching restaurants have been, are, are kind of part of the, you know, Dagama is really pretty too. I think, you know, like attractive restaurants have been part of the MKT experience. So this in that sense is, is of a piece with it. You know, the, the nice thing about our meal was that Corey Zhang, who's the, one of the two owners with her husband uh, was there to guide us. And we just basically said, feed us, you know, you, you decide, and so we got to try a bunch of dishes that, you know, I I don't usually get when I go to Mala. Like I didn't, you know, we didn't get Kung Pao chicken or the spicy crispy chicken or the the red oil dumplings. You know, we let we let Corey choose. And so we wound up with things like, you know, beef brisket and golden soup, green tea, bacon, fried rice, mala prawns with crispy rice cracker, squirrel tail fish with pine nuts, uh, finger licking fragrant rings. And a slice of crepe cake and the the bamboo, the vegetable dish. So, 
I don't know what what stands out to you. What what did you really enjoy? What would you order again? The rice cakes uh, and the shrimp were one of my favorites. Honestly, I had not had this dish at Mala before. I was happy that she picked that for us. I also thought that the squirrel tail fish was incredibly fresh, well prepared. Um, I liked the flavors of that dish. Uh, the broth of the soup, uh, the beef dish that we had, that broth was very unique and tangy and just wonderfully delightful. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. And then honestly, I don't get desserts at a lot of restaurants just because I think that they fall short and I'm they're lackluster and I'm not impressed by them. A lot of times they're an afterthought, but the crepe cake, the Nutella crepe cake that we had, had so many very thin, delicately sliced layers, and it was delicious. I would agree with you. I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're making that crepe cake. I don't know if they're buying it from somebody, but yeah, I mean, I, the the layers were were delicate. The Nutella flavor was rich and chocolatey, of course, as you would expect. Uh, just a, a very satisfying and. You know, the proverbial sweet, but not too sweet, you know, after spicy, after spicy Sichuan food, I always want, I always want sweet. And I, if there hadn't been crepe cake, we would have rocked, we would have walked right next door to Honey Child Sweet Cream and I would have gotten ice cream, but you know, alas, crepe cake, who can say no to crepe cake? But yes, I mean, I, I want to just echo everything that you said about, about the dishes we ate, you know, that, that beef broth, that, that beef brisket and the golden broth was just so like satisfying and cold weather is coming and it's like it's the kind of the things i like about pho in terms of the the protein and the but like in a in a completely different way like a completely different set of flavors but just like it was a big bowl and i, I think i could have eaten the whole thing if if kind of like left to my own devices uh the shrimp were really nicely cooked i thought the fish was great a little bit sweet um which is a nice compliment to the spicy and you know, this is, it's just a reminder that this is kind of the restaurant, you know, 10 plus years ago that introduced a lot of Houstonians to traditional Sichuan dishes and, and they're still very much at the top of their game. And I uh, was happy that we got to do this and I can't wait to go back. Absolutely. I think probably one of their, I mean, we can't change it, but I think one of their biggest problems is going to be, it's going to be so popular. It is definitely on a smaller to mid-size restaurant for this development. I think, in my opinion, it feels relatively small when you compare it to Dagama. And so I just think people that live in the Heights need to be, you know, plan ahead and or uh, order carry out also. I mean, when we were there, they, I know they had just opened, but they already had, all of their to-go services online and people were definitely coming to pick up. I think they will absolutely crush it with to-go business being in this location in the Heights. Absolutely. And then I also want to talk to you about CL. This is a French inspired Asian influenced upscale restaurant that's coming to a uh, condo tower right near River Oaks district. Now it, this, this restaurant hasn't opened yet. It's not going to open until uh, November or December, but we got a private preview tasting, not not at the restaurant in, in an adjacent space, just to kind of get a sense of what they're up to. It, it was really as much as anything a chance to meet uh, their executive chef Joseph Geiskopf, who 
worked many years ago at the French Laundry, did a little, spent about a year at Noma, but really the bulk of his experience is in LA, uh, working for Jordan Kahn at restaurants like Red Medicine, Destroyer, and Vespertine. So, you know, Mary, you've, you've opened restaurants, you've, you've helped people hire chefs, you've done these tastings before. What should we take away from a private preview tasting that's not at the restaurant and not in the dining room and not with their equipment, but, but it just gives you some sense of, of the direction that they're going in? I always get really excited about anyone who I think is going to elevate our dining scene, right? I think a lot of people don't take risks because they, they're worried that they won't be well-received. This restaurant is definitely going to take some risks. And I think in a good way, I think, you know, they are very intelligent about the sourcing of their ingredients. We started with a, a caviar dish that he has a relationship with a sustainable uh, caviar producer. Um, it was playful. It wasn't, you know, so staid and serious. Like you would see at a lot of other fine dining restaurants. I thought, the beef tartare that we had was really delicious. Obviously, we got to meet their pastry chef as well. She comes from Mad. Uh, I thought that was exceptionally well executed. So there was also sushi, which I found interesting. I, I think a lot of times I think of a place like Mastro's, for example, that has sushi on the menu. And I'm always kind of at odds with that. I'm like, oh, why do you have sushi? But anyway, I think... This was well executed. It's hard to imagine what a space is going to be like if you aren't in it and haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet, but I think this location and proximity to the Galleria and Reverbs district will allow it to draw from customers that are willing to take a risk. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. They're really, these chefs that are involved are ambitious. They're excited. They're hungry to show Houston what they've got. And that always you know, I'm an eternal optimist. So I'm always excited to see what this younger generation coming up of chefs has to offer us. I think that's all well said. I think, you know, Joseph certainly brings a really interesting resume. Like you said, we had the, you know, he has a relationship with a sustainable caviar producer, you know, smoked beef tartare. I mean, that, that scallops and radish dish was like one of the best things I've eaten recently at any in any meal at any restaurant anywhere around town and it's just a it's just a creative preparations combination that uh was unexpected and and very tasty and you know we talk about you know vibe dining or, or any of these high energy places where you know they want to they, they they always say they want to do serious food but they also want to have a nightlife component you know they want to have a dj they want to have bottles like whatever they want to do and Basically, it's it's really hard to do both, right? It's it's hard to to operate the food at a really high level and and have that really high energy dining room. Uh, but to to CL's credit, I mean they've they've put together a team where obviously the food is really important, and so you know we'll see what it's like when it all comes together uh, in a month or two, but. Yeah, I'm with you, right? I, I always I, I want people to be successful. I'm always excited when uh, people with resumes like this choose to move to Houston and and open restaurants here. And so, you know, bring it on. Like fingers crossed. Like let's 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 see what this place is really like and and maybe it'll be the exception. And I mean for me, if I always my compare and contrast analytical brain always is like, well, who's their closest competitor or what 
you know, what kind of customer will they have? I do think MAD in River Oaks District, the restaurant, sister restaurant of BCN, is probably their closest competition because, you know, they do have a DJ on weekend nights later in the night. They do have a lively bar atmosphere. They do steer younger than their companion restaurant, BCN. And so, you know, if you, I think if you like MAD or if you've been to MAD and you like that kind of experience, I think you would want to check this out, right? And I think it's hard. You and I haven't been into the space and we haven't been in the actual restaurant. So it's hard to compare it to what might be its closest uh, competitor. But I think if you like the vibe of MAD, you'll probably like the vibe of this. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if you like the vibe at MAD, if you like the vibe at Musafir, but you know, I do think it's going to be interesting to sort of compare like the because food wise, this is a restaurant that that maybe could stand on its own with Blue Dorn or Riel or any of our other favorite restaurants around town. But the atmosphere is going to be completely different. And, and how that food works with that atmosphere is a big question mark for me. But but we'll see. Right. And And it'll either it'll either be for me or it won't be for me. And, and if, if it is, if, if, if I love it, awesome. I'd be really excited to have a new, a new place to be really excited about. And if, and if not, then, you know, that's okay too. Cause Lord knows there's plenty of places that are very successful without my enthusiasm. So. I do think, you know, it's funny. I always talk about places of this is what I think they'll be, but I always tell operators, li- listen to the feedback of your guest and their experience. And, they'll tell you what your place is. And I liken that to Clarkwood, one of my friends and, and yours as well's bar uh, concept that in the early days of it, we thought they would sell a, a lot of wine and cocktails, but it's definitely shown itself to be more of a cocktail type of place. And, and your, your customers, your demographic, they'll tell you what you are. So I think uh, this restaurant will also, you know, it will it will evolve and they'll need to listen to their their customers and that'll let them know what they'll be. Absolutely. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And I will be right back with Morgan Weber and Matt Tanner. I am joined this week by Two of the folks behind Easy's Liquor Lounge, a new bar coming any day to the Heights. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so people can hear your voices. Agricole Hospitality co-founder Morgan Weber, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, man, I'm well. Thanks for having me on. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Thanks for doing this. Of course. Matt Tanner, partner in Easy's. This is your first time on the show. Welcome. It is. Thank you for having me. Matt, let me let me start with you because I've known you for a long time. I mean, I remember when you were at Anvil, you were with Pappas Restaurants for a long time. Mm-hmm. How did you hook up with, with Agricole to do Easy's? Like, what made that seem like the right next move for you in your career? Um, we, still don't, we still don't know if that is the right move. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> So um, Morgan and I have known each other basically since Anvil uh, ever started. Uh, so, I mean, what was that? 
11 years ago, Morgan, 12 years ago now? I think it was like 2009, 12. right? Yeah. Yeah. Opened. Yeah. So anyway, so we had uh, been talking for a little while, uh, just, you know, about different concepts that we kind of thought that we would want to open in the future and just, you know, just, you know, talking as friends. And uh, I remember one night we we're sitting around having a cigar and uh, I Morgan had mentioned something about having the space on 3302 wide oak. And uh, he started pitching some concepts. And then uh, I don't remember how it came about, but somehow we got on the, uh, the idea. It was like, well, what if we just threw like a neighborhood joint in there with like the old school vibe and really good cocktails. And we just kind of started going in and talking and talking and talking. And over like the next guess what a couple months or so we just kind of honed in the idea and Morgan throughout you know hey would you maybe want to partner with us on this and uh that was that at that point it was it was sounded like a pretty good idea because at at the end of the day it's uh, I would have either stayed at Pappas for a long time or owned my own thing and so you know Morgan and all the guys gave me the opportunity to do the uh, do the other option and stay at Pappas. <laughs> yeah, because I I mean in some ways the you know being the the cocktail guy for the Pappas Restaurant Group it's like the best bartending job in the world, right? It's it's you you don't have to stay out late, you don't have to like maybe not a lot of customer interaction, but but the lifestyle is pretty good. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I tried to tell him. He's like, don't leave, don't leave your job. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan, let me let me swing it around to you. I mean, you know, you guys kind of got the opportunity to buy the bike shop or to lease the bike shop next to Cultivare, maybe even before you kind of had a plan for it. So what did you kind of consider before settling on Easy's as the right idea? Uh, man, I'm actually trying to remember that. It's been so long. Like we had we had kind of internally said we're not looking for another project. We always say that. But uh, if the right one comes up and uh, we had always had our eye on that building, just because it's the proximity to Cultivari is so amazing. Um, and we're always trying to pick up extra parking spaces for Cultivari. So that's not why we did this project, obviously, but it, uh, we, we realized that this section of White Oak does not have a lot of parking. Um, and it was like, man, it would be pretty cool to kind of control most of this block. Uh, and we knew we wanted to do a bar. We did not want to do another restaurant. I think we might've kicked a couple of restaurant ideas around early on, but um, we, we really wanted to explore the idea of what would it look like if we opened a bar that was kind of the type of bar that we want and enjoy sitting and drinking at. Um, and we started thinking about what kind of bars those are. And I've, I've always gravitated to neighborhood joints. I mean, I've had so many blackout nights at Shiloh club that I can't even like count them on one hand, but, uh, on two hands. <laughs> uh, so when, when Matt and I started talking, you know, agricole is, is, and was at a point where if we don't have the right people to kind of jump into, uh, new concepts there's there's no way for us to grow even if we wanted to and at that point matt was um 
I mean, I, I know Matt enjoyed his tenure at, at Pappas, but I, I feel like I'm not going to speak for you, Matt, but we had had some conversations about, you know, there's a ceiling there and with owning your own business, there's a lot of risks that come with that, but uh, you know, the sky's kind of the limit to what, what it could be. So when we really started talking about what easies could be, you know, way before we even had a name, we were pretty dialed in on, uh, on what a neighborhood bar would look like kind of filtered through our lens. And, you know, we keep going back to dive bar and, you know, people have said, Oh, you guys are opening a dive bar. And like, we, we're not opening a dive bar. Uh, maybe 30 years from now, it'll be considered that, but I do feel like that's one of those, those names that's earned over time. You don't just like open up a place and like, Oh, we're a dive bar now. So we're really, we're <laughs> right, really new, opening right, a, a new, new and dive bar. Don't make sense together. No, no, those two no. Words don't go together, <laughs> but you know, I've been a collector of random crap for years and, and Matt too. And I loved the idea of, you know, some of those old restaurants in the eighties that I grew up going to with my parents and small towns. And, uh, my, my folks weren't really bar goers, but, uh, I love the nostalgia of certain items and the certain feeling that you get when you used to walk into those just kind of neighborhood places that have kind of gone away, um, over time is like certain elements that you kind of took for granted that you'd always see in these places that just uh disappeared over time so we really wanted to open a place uh in the heights that kind of reminded people that come in reminded guests of uh the nostalgia of of times past if you will and uh boy that sent us down a rabbit hole that we have yet to recover from <laughs> all right well i I, I have a couple of different angles I want to I want to go with, but Matt, let me let me bring you back in. Maybe kind of talk about the process of assembling all of these vintage items that are, that are kind of establishing the the mood and the decor at Easy's because it. I mean, I've I've seen some pictures. It looks like it must have been quite a quite a shopping expedition to put all this together. <laughs> um, man, you know when Morgan talks about rabbit holes. Like, this truly is just one of those things where you could, let's just start with eBay, for instance. It's like, oh, you know, it'd be great to have a Miller High Life sign. Well, next thing you know, three hours later, you know, you've hit the end of eBay. You're now searching through, you know, Craigslist and Marcari and uh, whatever, else, like, marketplace. And all you started with was like, oh, let's see what kind of old Miller uh, High Life stuff there is. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, I think I have a Which one? Life. Yeah. Which one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, then, you know, then it's, then it's like something, you'll see something random while you're, you know, just searching around on eBay. It's like, oh, well, here's a, here's a dead squirrel, you know, curled up around a Miller High Life can. It's like, oh, well, let me see what kind of bad taxidermy I could find. And then you go dump, jump down another you know, rabbit hole. And uh, so you, you could either, like it all just kind of, it, it would start at one like small little thing of like, oh man, this would be kind of cool to put in the bar. And then next thing you know, like five hours later, or you find yourself at an estate sale across town just to pick up one item. And then you're like, drink, you know, just digging through everything that they have and it, it's just the most random, nonsensical 
thing out there that is a lot of fun to do. It has, it has truly been the most fun thing to dial in the interiors on of anything I have ever worked on in my life. Like, cause it, it's, I don't want to say anything goes, but if it's weird, it gets considered. <laughs> yeah. But you got to balance that like tacky, you know, retro, like you don't want it to be kitschy, do, right? You don't want to, or, or do you not? Like I, maybe no, you do. I'm just I kidding. Know. It's your ball. No, it, there is a, there is a super fine line. Uh, Cause I think Matt and I both love all the old advertising from the fifties, sixties and seventies that bourbon companies used to spend a lot of energy on. And uh, you know, modern bourbon uh, advertising just doesn't have the, the uh, swagger that a lot of that old stuff had. So Not even we, de- we definitely tend to say yes, probably more often than we should to things like advertising. And so we get all that stuff up. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, we've been collecting stuff for three years because we had the time. Uh, thank you, city of Houston, um, to to really kind of explore as much as we wanted to. So we we had kind of forgotten about a lot of the stuff we had bought and um, we get in there, unbox it all, lay it out. And then it's just like a puzzle piece thing all over the walls. And we realized after kind of that first round of hanging stuff up, we're like, man, we have way too much bourbon advertising. So, you know, it is a fine line. It's a fine line of uh, really cool stuff like the ads and, and, and signage and whatnot, but then also bringing in elements from those eras that uh, we were definitely aware of when they happened, but um, they've probably forgotten about a little bit. So we, we really it's a, it is a fine line and we definitely haven't, haven't finished. We might never finish. I feel like we've probably got about 50% of what we actually need. I don't think this place ever gets finished. Yeah. But I mean, that's one of my favorite things about uh, a lot of the, my favorite neighborhood bars around the country. It's like uh, they're, they're never completed. And uh, I think every time you go in and you, you start scanning the walls or scanning the shelves, you're like, that's new. And that's weird. Um, and it makes me think of something in my in my past. So I don't know. It's a, it's an ode to a different era, which is fun for me, at least. And it does. It's meant to not take itself too seriously. Right. Right. An era when, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, like none of us were actually old enough to go to bars. Right. Like, yeah. You're, yeah. Great point. <laughs> you're, you're like you're right on the like like we're right on the cusp. Like I remember smoking in bars. But it's been a long time, and I don't miss it at all. I feel I feel no nostalgia for leaving a bar smelling like an ashtray. <laughs> right. I remember getting off work in college and going to the bar and like leaving, and I was just you'd wake up the next day and just like oh, I smell terrible. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. you would have to un- you, you know you basically have to undress as soon as you walked in the door and oh, yeah. shower before you went to like you just because otherwise you just wake up smelling like the stuff was terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only thing that we're missing is like when you walk in, you smell fresh citrus juice instead of a mix of cigarettes and fabuloso. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the one other reason that I wouldn't call I would never call Easy's a, a dive bar is because dive bars, the drinks kind of suck. And I've, I've been to every agricultural hospitality uh, concept multiple times and the drinks are always great. Well, thank you. 
So how do you honor the spirit of like the atmosphere you've created, but like drinks that taste good? Well, you, you make them taste good. <laughs> I mean, like, are, are we talking like, like strawberry daiquiris and Long Island iced tea? Like, like how far are you leaning into this? I wouldn't say that we're totally leaning into like, I would say that those are kitschy cocktails that would like fit the the theme, but it's not really, I, I don't think that fits the personality of this place. So it's, um, I think it's fair to say that uh, the drinks are definitely probably the biggest departure from the, uh, the idea of the dive bar it's like we love that environment we obviously want to maintain a very uh high low kind of vibe but uh i think we've we're over the hump in america in general uh of, of people coming into a place and expecting a good drink if if you have previous reputations for doing that so um I don't see us kind of purposefully going in and, and, you know, making bad cocktails like yeah. they did in, in the, in the olden days. Uh, their Sprite will not be a, a part of our old fashioned. <laughs> no, please don't. Yeah. But you know, the whole idea behind, you know, drinks over here is that it's, they are simple, approachable, well executed cocktails, but we're you know, it's not a cocktail bar. So the thing is that if you if you want uh, a drink, it will be made proper. Uh, no shortcuts will be taken. But at the same time, you know, it's not like we're going to have a giant list of cocktails. You know, it's not like we're going to have the Amble 100 list hanging around over here. It's more just here's a short menu of drinks that are all excellent. But also, here's a whole list of beers. If you want a bucket of them, we got it for you. If you want some wine to sip on, we have that as well. So it's just truly like, I think, a well-rounded drink program that suits this neighborhood to the T. It's a little bit of everything and, and not, uh, you know, excessive on really anything. You know, I think the last we counted at 8 Row Flint, we've got about 70 cocktails on the menu which when I heard that number, I was like, that's way too many cocktails. But, you know, eight rows got, you know, 350 deep on Mexican spirits, three or 400 American uh, whiskey options. Like eight row on that part is the excessive, right? And, and this is just a little bit of everything to check every box, box or scratch every itch for most of the humans that want to come in here. And we... The devil's in the details, right? We want to take everything that we do extremely seriously, but we don't want anybody that walks in the building to like be thinking about that when they come in to have a drink. Right. It should it should look the 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 incredible amount of, of thought and preparation should look completely effortless from the uh, customer's perspective. Yeah, hopefully. I mean that we'll see what happens, but <laughs> And then just talk to me about food a little bit, because, you know, when we first talked about this a couple months ago, I think that was that was something you were still kind of thinking through. Yeah. So um, food's going to be kind of a small bites, but there will be items that are substantial if you are hungry. So uh, we're going to have like a glorious hot dog roller. 
going to do like uh, gas gas station style. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to be serving up uh, RC ranch uh, hot dogs. Then we'll also have a vegan option as well. With that comes chili because you can't have hot dogs without chili. So uh, we can do chili dogs. Uh, we're also going to do like Frito pies. And then we'll have uh, just like fun dips as well. So, you know, really great pimento cheese. We'll do queso because, I mean, who doesn't love queso? Right. And you're doing queso and you're doing queso at eight rows. So it's not like a huge stretch to do queso. Yeah. And we're um, in Texas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, then also like we'll have pickled jalapeno French onion dip, uh, served with East Texas firecrackers. And then, you know, for like our meat and cheese, we'll have like uh, summer sausage with cubed up, you know, smoked cheddar and just fun, fun stuff that I used to love on road trips as a kid, basically. And then things you'd have at like family gatherings. Keeping it simple, but excellent. So, I mean, I, I've driven past the, the space recently, it basically, from the outside, peeking in through the windows, it looks like you're basically ready to go. Do you do you know when you're going to be opening? Uh, hopefully within like the next two weeks. We are, we are virtually done. We are waiting on our, I'm not going to swear. We're, we're waiting on our sprinkler riser crap to be buttoned up. And that is like one of the only things that is, keeping us from opening the door, which is maddening because we are ready. We're staffed up, trained, we're ready to go. So we were thinking it was going to happen this week and then that got pushed by a week. So we're really, really, really hoping uh, for a soft opening late next week and then pull the ripcord. So um, of course, if that, if the city doesn't cooperate in that, um, it'll get pushed a week, but I, I don't see it. We're just out of hurdles, you know. They've they've thrown what they could at us, but we're we've basically exhausted them. <laughs> and then Morgan, I do have a couple of things I I sort of want to I want to ask you about. Get get a little bit philosophical with me. I mean, you guys opened you opened Revival what in like 2010? So 2011. Yeah, March of 2011. And then Cultivari in 14, right? Early 14? Correct. I mean, the that stretch of white oak has changed so much in yeah. over the years. How do you kind of how do you kind of see the state of white oak now, and and how do you kind of see cultivari and easies, you know, in a world where, you know, there's little woodrows and permit like at high low right bobcat from bobcat teddies to permission whiskey right you you can yeah. you can have whatever kind of experience you want on that stretch of street. Where do where do you see yourselves kind of fitting in with with everything else? Man, honestly, the the further I get into this industry, the less I feel like I truly understand it. But uh, if you would have told me 10 or 11 years ago that when we opened Revival, that east end of White Oak would be just exploding like it is and, and that the neighborhood could, could sustain it, I would have probably uh, told you you're out of your mind. And then every time I drive down that street at 11 o'clock at night and it's absolutely uh exploding with human beings it I, I i have no idea but like um you know cultivari is on its best year to date um which we're just blown away by year after year uh, 
And I feel like with Benny Thunder's opening and and now Easy's, I, I kind of feel like there's an opportunity for the east side of White Oak and the west side of White Oak to just start kind of bleeding together a little bit more, which I certainly don't hate. I love the synergy of all those bars and restaurants. Um, but it's it is so it has grown and it is doing better as a street than anything I could have ever comprehended. I mean, it was not two years or three years before we opened Revival Market where there were still like prostitutes walking up and down that street. So to see kind of where it's at now is just, it's, it's, it's impressive. And I, I just hope that, uh, you know, Easy's kind of rides that line between people that have dinner at Cultivare and then they kind of want a nightcap and it's just so easy and close that they want to hobble over there and knock a couple more back. Or maybe they start before they go to dinner with that. And then I think it's a, it's a good opportunity, um, that is existing with all the synergy that's going down on the east side of what east end of white oak for people to mosey on down and just the whole street becomes a bar hopping kind of situation i mean maybe you'll tell leonora to tell people the wait's half an hour longer than it is so they are motivated <laughs> to go to easy's and have a drink i'm you know anything's possible i'm not above it <laughs> uh and then let me just ask you one other thing because you know obviously you guys have been you've been busy uh, you're you're bringing eight row Flint to the East End. Maybe just talk a little bit about kind of that opportunity and kind of where you at in that process. And sure. and really just selfishly because I live basically down the street from it. When am I going to be drinking ranch waters and eating tacos at, at the new Yeah Yeah Eight Row Flint? I mean, it's a little. I I feel like I'm always elusive when you ask these questions, and I don't and don't do that uh, intentionally. But uh, we're we're really just doing cosmetic updates there uh the root lab guys and night shift guys built an absolutely beautiful bar um it's unfortunately a little too nice to be eight row so we have a little bit of cosmetic work to to kind of bring it uh bring it into that eight row kind of world and and headspace but uh and we we also applied for a new liquor license we we didn't assume their liquor license so that's a 45 to 60 day thing. Honestly, if, if we, uh, if we don't hit any unforeseen roadblocks, we're really hoping for November, December of this year. That, that would be fantastic. Yeah. Cause, cause I spent a lot of, I spent a lot of time at night shift and, and now, I mean, with cafe Louie kind of blowing up right down the street, it's like, they're talking about synergy. Uh, you know, it's just, yeah. To have, yeah and you know we have we have the team we we've moved a couple people from uh eight row heights over to eight row east and um you know christina's kind of concept director over both now and marcelo's doing food over both so that would that whole thing would have never happened if we didn't already have like human beings in place that knew kind of how eight row operates on a daily basis from the ethos and culture and whatnot um, Christian Garza's uh, been at Eight Row Heights for three or four years, and just such an awesome dude. And you know, he's moving over there to be the GM. Um, it's it's been a lot of uh, you know internal people that are, are going to kind of help make that happen. So without the people, we could have never even considered doing it. And then let me ask you about the spirits business because I know. The last time you were on, I think it was to talk about 
you know, you were getting into the whiskey business. You were selling. Yeah, it was the Ivy Mountain days. That's right. Uh, and and I and I I feel like you've kind of shifted. I, I know it. I know that it's called Marfa Spirits Company, but but I have to admit I don't know that much about it. So so let me just yeah. turn you loose. Like, what are you what are you doing in that in that world? Yeah, I mean, uh, Josh Shepard, uh, Seth Siegel Gardner, and I founded that business in 2018. Uh, we've been traveling out there just kind of recreationally for years, and uh, you know. When we got when we opened Anvil and we're kind of uh, looking for interesting new spirits, you know, so tall was one of those that kind of w- was slightly available only through Hacienda de Chihuahua, which is kind of the most basic of so talls out there. But it was interesting and it was kind of, you know, from a place that's relatively close to Texas. And so that that really spurred the initial interest in that spirit. And then by the time we opened eight row. You know, we, we could get five or six different um, iterations of Sotol in from Chihuahua. And then over the last like five or six years, you know, there's 35 available or so they're being imported into Texas now. And the as I would go out there and as I would kind of hunt these bottles down, you know, drinking through the different uh, the different iterations from all over the state of Chihuahua or Coahuila or Sonora. Um, Durango, depending on where that plant grows, it can have such a wildly different flavor profile. Um, you know, I know we see that in, in agaves and mezcal and such, but the, uh, differences between the, the, the Sotal plant species are, are not as widely varied as agaves. And so you kind of have to attribute a lot of the the diversity in those flavor profiles to the different places in which they're growing. Um, whether it's in these high Sierras or in the desert or down in kind of the subtropical regions in the Southern half or Southern part of the state. Uh, it, it was not lost on me that all these plants grow in and around all over West Texas, um, wild and, and un, unused. So we started kicking around the idea in early 2018 and, it got some legs pretty quickly, shopped it around to some investors, which we got some traction on. And we felt good enough about buying this old 1917 era building in downtown Marfa in 2018. And then went under a really extensive renovation, um, got totally railroaded by the pandemic. None of our construction guys could, uh, could work. And uh, so we basically lost that year. We launched in August of 2021 and uh, opened the distillery officially in October of 2021. And so now we're just in that that place where we, we don't really know what we're doing, but we're figuring it out as we go and uh, trying to make the best decisions that we can. So what are you producing right now? And I, I know it's all I know it's all available here in Houston. So, yeah, yeah. Um, right now, our the first project we came out with was actually a collaboration with um, a Sotolero in Chihuahua. His name's Jacobo Jaquez. He's a sixth generation Sotol maker um, based out of Panos, Mexico, which is about two and a half hours southwest of Juarez. And uh, we got introduced a couple years ago and we started talking about how cool it would be to work together on um, like more of a binational product because there is a lot of uh, conversation uh, recently, but it, it has been uh, 
you know, talked about for the last four or five years, it's like, okay, so Texas is not in the denomination of origin for Sotol in Mexico because of the USMCA trade agreement. Um, but we do have another distillery in Texas producing Sotol and calling it such on their label. How do you, how do you play in the same sandbox together or should you? There's been a lot of questions about that. Yeah, there's a um, lot of there's a and there's there's a whole issue of cultural appropriation, right? Like whether yeah, whether you you should be using that word to describe what it is you're producing. Right, exactly. So when we started working with Akobo, um, early 2021, you know his stance on it was this is a category that in America and in Mexico there's just not a lot of uh, awareness around, and if we start calling it a bunch of different names. It's going to get confusing really quickly and we should all just call it so tall and we should all lean into that and we should all kind of do this together rising tides lift all ships mentality and uh we thought well there'd be no better way to kind of explore that than working together so uh part of that process is done at his distillery in hanos and, and it's finished in marfa our original idea was to actually do the first distillation in uh, in Hanos and do the second distillation in Marfa. So it's actually truly distilled in both places. Um, the USDA and the Mexican, uh, version of that did not really know how to handle that product coming across the border through customs. So it wasn't a finished agriculture, uh, finished spirit product, but it also wasn't a raw agricultural product. It was like lying in one of these gray areas. So we just were like, okay, do the first two distillations in Hanos. And then we can proof, bottle, and filter it and blend it in Marfa. So we're still working on that, but it's uh it's a it's been a lot of a lot of brain damage. Um <laughs> and we're starting to work with uh three other Sotoleros in Mexico, kind of on the same thing to we're able to pay them um because we also are importers, but we don't have to realize that importing um uh margin that most importers will put on the product for doing that. So we're able to pay them more. We still charge what we need to charge, but we're really trying to get these bottles to uh, on-premise accounts for a reasonable price so they can use them in drinks. Um, I don't think there's any reason a lot of these bottles should be $80 or $90 a bottle. So we've spent a lot of time working on working on that, but we do the, we do the collaborative Sotol we just released in February or March uh, our first Texas spirit made from the Sotol plant. We are not calling it Sotol. We made that decision. Um, it's called Desert Spirit, but it is made from 100% Sotol plants. But we did not want to uh, go against the denomination of origin that exists in Mexico, even though we could, I guess. And then we do a gin, a vodka, a really, really interesting rum made from uh, sugarcane molasses that are coming that's coming from the last sugarcane processing plant in texas uh it's a blend of that and louisiana sugarcane we do a long crazy ferment get some beautiful beautiful uh esters and congeners out of that but uh, and then we do an orange and a grapefruit liqueur we're working on some other some other products as well but uh those are the ones in the in the current lineup yeah i gotta say because i still have a little of that um each brandy you made back in the day. Oh, I'm still hoarding some of it. That was that was pretty tasty. That was a big hit. Yeah, that was. We were all that. I, I I hate that that did not work out. They don't always work out. 
but uh, I really miss that peach brandy. We do have plans to do it in Marfa. There was actually a pretty big peach uh, growing culture out there uh, during the late 1800s and well into the 1900s. And Cibolo Creek Ranch, uh, which is just south of Marfa, uh, made peach brandy and apple brandy from their trees um, until about the 1930s, I think, 1930s, 1940s. So they still have the actual pot still that came from that ranch in the 18 uh they've dated to about 1850 so it might very well be one of the oldest pot stills in the state of texas and it's still in pretty good condition so we're going to send that pot still off and get it looked at to make sure it's safe to use or repair it if it's not and the the plan is to fire up peach brandy on that sucker again one day we just need more time <laughs> oh, oh oh right um yeah. matt let me let me bring this back to you I, I didn't mean to i didn't mean to cut you off for quite so long but no, all good. Um, I mean, you're getting you're getting ready to open. It's it's been a minute since you've like. I, I mean, I know you've been working here and there at at you know Cultivari and Eight Row, but like you know, since you've been like really in the thick of it, are you like doing curls or something to get your cocktail shaking arms back? I mean, like, <laughs> uh, are you are you ready for this? Because I, I think you're going to be pretty busy. Oh man, yeah, I'm uh, I'm very ready for it. Be even though I did not bartend regularly at Pappas. You know, I still would help with opening of new restaurants, which, you know, had basically I did a whole bunch of training for a bunch of different people, um, which, you know, at the end of the day, I was making cocktails almost every other day, just not in volume. But, you know, being able to work at Miss Carousel and Cultivari and all that, you know, got me, it bounced me right back into the groove. So it I might be uh I might be a little sore for a couple weeks, but I think after that I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, gentlemen, I gotta say that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Matt? Yeah. Me, me neither. <laughs> All right. We just well, want people to come in and have a good old time. Well, I want to be one of those people that's coming in and having a good old time. So I'm I'm looking forward to this. Excellent. We're looking forward to having you. Well, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Ooh. Matt, since you've never done this before. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Matt, what is your favorite spirit to use in cocktails? Tequila. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? ZZ Top. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Whataburger. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? Nolan Ryan. And then finally, when you go to a pizzeria for the first time, what are your go-to toppings? Pepperoni and cheese. That's like I'm basic on that one. <laughs> if you if you mess that up, then it's kind of hard to trust all the other pies. <laughs> all right, give us the uh, the website, the social media, everything for. Easy's Liquor Lounge. So website is easysliquorlounge.com. And then the uh, uh, Instagram is at Easy's Liquor Lounge. Uh, same with Facebook. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. Eric, thanks for having us on, man. Always a pleasure. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.